always wonderful to walk into the pulpit and look out and see a number of visitors with us. We're glad that you're here. We also have a number of our folks that are traveling. We encourage you to keep them in your prayers as they make their journey to their destination and return. For those of you who are visiting with us, we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is such a marvelous book because it allows us to see and answer the question, why are we here? What does our life mean? What does God want from me? Rather than addressing it in such a fashion as to say, this is what you ought to do, this is how you ought to live, Solomon takes us along a journey. He begins to describe for us his life and how he pursued a number of different things to try to find the real meaning of life. And what Solomon concluded was, is if you look at this pursuit or that pursuit, it ends in nothing. He says, it's nothing more than vanity and grasping for wind. It's elusive. You cannot obtain it. As you all know, if you read on through the book of Ecclesiastes to chapter 12 and verse 13, he says, this is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. That's where he's going to finish. Along the way, though, Solomon is going to talk to us about different pursuits. And in this case, he's going to talk to us about foolishness or folly. When you and I think of the word foolishness, sometimes we think of what, at least in my mind, I think of what my grandfather would say. He'd come in and all of us grandkids would be playing and laughing and say, you boys need to cut out that foolishness. You know, sometimes I think of that as being levity and maybe happiness and being a little bit silly, but that's not the way the word is used in the Bible. The theological word book of the Old Testament said the verb is most used mostly in context where a man acts out of fear and thus behaves rashly rather than acting wisely out of confidence towards God. In other words, I'm put in a situation and rather than thinking things through, I just do whatever naturally comes to me. That's being foolish. In Psalm chapter 14 verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. He's not taking the time to look and see what life has presented to him. All the evidence. And so he immediately says, well, there's no God. Solomon sought to contrast this with wisdom. In chapter 1 and verse 17, and he said, I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also was a grasping for wind. Chapter 2, verse 3, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine and while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under the heaven all the days of their lives. And then in chapter 7 and verse 25, I applied my heart to know, to search, to seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly even foolishness and madness. 
Solomon is telling us, I tried to look at it. And he said, I tried to find out what foolishness really meant. Well, chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes is going to talk about the foolishness of folly. And here's the way Solomon is going to approach it for us. Sometimes your outline falls just perfect. You're able to, to see you know, evenly divided passages. But in this passage, here's what you see. Chapter 10, verse 1 is an object lesson. Something that you can look at and say, I see that. Number 2, beginning with verse 2, going all the way through verse 20, he will have at least five different observations about a man who lives his life of foolishness. Now here's where we're going to end. We're going to study this passage of Scripture and then we're going to come to a conclusion that Solomon did that foolishness and madness is unprofitable for man. Wisdom is what ought to guide our decisions. Let's look at chapter 10, verse 1. I think you'll all be able to appreciate it when you read it. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. Now I want you to imagine the idea of perfume to begin with. He's using an object lesson. I could have brought a a bottle of perfume up here and placed it in front of you. And many of you would say, oh yes, I've seen that kind of perfume before. Perhaps some of you even bought some perfume or cologne this last week for someone that you care about. Well, Solomon in the Old Testament here realizes that Perfume was used for various reasons. Sometimes it was used in religious services. Sometimes it was used in funeral services. And sometimes for personal grooming. For instance, in Exodus chapter 30, verse 25 and 35, And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment uh, compounded according to the art of a perfumer. It shall be holy anointing oil. And then in verse 35, you shall make of these an incense. You see, they had things to make things smell better. That's the purpose of perfume is to make things smell better. Sometimes it was used with regards to um, people wanting, for instance, to perfume uh, their place of where they're at. The harlot of chapter 7, verse 17, I perfume my bed with Myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Chapter 27, verse 9. Ointment and perfume give delight to the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. You know, we all know that you walk by some folks and they have that nice, fragrant aroma. And, of course, you also know that you walk by some who don't have that nice, fragrant aroma. You see what he's talking about here, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment. What happens if you introduce something that is rancid, that stinks, into something that's supposed to smell good? For instance, what if someone has gone into a room and they sprayed some sort of air freshener and then there's a dead rat in the wall? And you say, Phew. Boy, that smells bad. 
What he's trying to get us to understand is you can introduce something into a perfume that makes it stink rather than makes it smell good. Well, he said, so then does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. What happens if you take a person who is respectable, honorable, someone you'd look up to, and all of a sudden they start doing things that are foolish, things that obviously are out of character. You see, if you're reading and studying through Solomon's message here, you go back to chapter 9 and verse 18. He says, Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. What happens if I, a person who's noted for perhaps being wise and you know, honorable, and then do something that is really foolish? How many people's lives have been ruined by one foolish, out-of-character action? Maybe a person has always been respected, but they go out and they have an affair. Or here's a person, they go out and they become inebriated. Or here's a person, they go out and, and they start using foul language. You start saying, wow, I've lost respect for them. One sinner's action can affect a whole group as well. The children of Israel were coming into the promised land. The first place they came was the city of Jericho. And God told them, since this is the first city, everything in that city is devoted to me. No one gets to take any of the spoils. However, there was a man by the name of Achan who took of the spoils of Jericho, hid them in his own tent. When the children of Israel then went to the next city to battle against Ai, they were defeated and they didn't understand why. God told them there's sin in the camp. Look at the effect of one sinner's action. Joshua chapter 7. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So what is he saying about foolishness? As an object lesson, you look at someone you trust, you revere, you respect, and you see foolishness in them and you say, now I've lost some respect for them. Well, now what he's going to do, he's going to start going through some observations of various things in life. And he's going to start saying, okay, as I look at this one, how do I see foolishness in this person's life? Let's look at the first in verses 2 and 3. A wise man's heart is in his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Even a fool, when he walks along the way, he lacks wisdom and shows everyone he is a fool. When he walks along the way, he shows everybody he's a fool. If you'll permit me to borrow a phrase from a movie that I enjoyed, Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid does. In other words, how do you know that a person is stupid when they do stupid things? How do you know a man is foolish when he does foolish things? You know, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16, 
Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Verse 20, therefore by their fruits you shall know them. Do you realize that you and I develop a reputation based upon the way we act? If we do foolish things, we will be called a fool. That's simply what Solomon is observing here. And there's so many areas in life where one can observe and ponder foolish people. If I were to step back and say, okay, now, who are some people that are in this world are foolish? Solomon's going to start being specific, naming some names here. In the verses that follow, that's what we're going to see, and then we're going to end with the admonition. Okay, let's look now at verses 4 through 7. If the spirit of the ruler arises against you, do not leave your post. For conciliation pacifies great offenses. Now, don't skip over that. Think about that verse again. Maybe I need to read it again. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post. For conciliation pacifies great offenses. There is an evil I have seen under the sun as an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, while the rich sit in a lowly place. I have seen servants on horses, while princes walk on the ground like servants. Let Solomon's observation there mull around in your mind just a minute. How that you see a servant sitting up riding on a horse while you see a prince walking on the ground, maybe even carrying a burden. One of the first things that you see, and I tried to get you to see this, this conciliation, trying to resolve conflicts. What happens when you have conflicts? A foolish man says, hey, it doesn't matter. Foolish man never thinks about tomorrow, the next week, the next year. What they do, they carry it along with them. Chapter 8, verse 3. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Do you know what? It doesn't make sense, folks, to go to a person of authority... And then to be offensive toward them. You ought to try to make things right. For instance, if a police officer pulls you over, they come to your window and they say, roll your window down. You say, what do you want? You probably are not going to get off really well. And then if if the officer begins to try to explain what you have done wrong, rather than to be conciliatory toward him, you start arguing, you start you know what's going to happen? You're going to drive away with the ticket. And hopefully maybe you don't drive away in the back of his car. Do you see? Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in the evil thing. Proverbs 16, 14 says, As messengers of death is the king's wrath, but a wise man will appease it. Ask yourself the question, Am I trying in my 
life to work things out or am I trying to just have my way? Fools are often in positions of power as well. In Proverbs 28 verse 12, when the righteous rejoice, there's great glory. But when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. Maybe a little clearer, chapter 29 verse 2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people groan. Proverbs 19.10, luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant to rule over princes. You see, a lot of times people don't demonstrate the kind of wisdom that a ruler ought to have because they don't think about what they're doing. So you see it in society, but you also see it in business as well. Look with me now at verses 8 through 10. He who digs a pit shall fall into it. And whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stone will be hurt by them. And he who splits wood may be endangered by it. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. Now think for just a moment here about the kind of people that he is describing. Somebody who's digging a pit. Somebody whose job it is to break through a wall. Somebody whose job it is to chop wood or cut down wood. And how does that person demonstrate? Numerous occupations can be dangerous. And I don't want to be working with a fool. Do you? Do you want to be working somewhere, you're out digging a pit, and you look around and the guy who's next to you is digging under your feet? Do you want to be with a guy, for instance, who's swinging an axe and every time he pulls it back, he's just within inches of your head? You see, a fool doesn't think. And then you you just take this observation that Solomon makes here. It takes more effort to cut with a dull axe. Somebody says, well, if you'll sharpen your axe first, it'll take less work to be able to... Oh, in other words, you think before you do something. What you will observe throughout of all this is there's some people who are hasty. They're they're just acting out of fear rather than thinking things through. Now he's going to talk about speech. Look at verses 11 through 15. A serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. The words of the wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of the fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness and end with the talk of his talk is raving madness. A fool multiplies words. No man knows what it to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? The fool of uh, the labor of fools wearies them, for they do not even know how to go to the city. Let me read that last phrase again so you can get it. The labor of fools wearies them, 
for they do not even know how to go to the city. Now Solomon is going to talk about the charming of a snake. I, I see the picture in my mind of a man who's got a serpent, a snake, in a basket. And he's got some sort of flute in front of him and he plays a certain set of tones on that flute and the serpent doesn't strike. But what if a man doesn't play the, the tune? He doesn't charm the snake. The snake's going to bite him. If the snake is not charmed, he's going to bite. The fool doesn't think about the danger that is in front of him. He just goes ahead and does what he does without thinking. Wise people think about what they're saying and how to say it before they say it. You see, because fools will sometimes just say anything that comes out of their mouth. Proverbs 15, verse 28, The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of fools pours forth evil. Chapter 10, verse 32, The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked is what is perverse. You listen to a fool and you immediately know who he is because of the way he talks. He hasn't thought about what he's going to say. But here Solomon starts dropping in some, some thoughts of wisdom. He said the wise man's words are gracious. What do you mean by that, gracious? A fool never thinks about how the person who's listening to him will react. He, he just simply lets that voice go forth and never thinking about how am I trying to influence this. I'm going to tell you there's many gospel preachers who have never thought about how they present their lessons. They just pour it on. Let them have it. Tell them like it is. Well, that's you have to be clear. You have to be plain. But you have to also realize what you're trying to do is persuade people to be obedient to God. And when you listen to Luke 4, verse 22, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's sons? The gracious words of Jesus. Colossians 4, verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with a little salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. It matters the kind of words we use. He also talks about the fool multiplies his words. He just talks. He keeps talking. He doesn't know when he needs to close his mouth. Proverbs 15:2. The wise of the tongue, or the tongue of the wise, uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. James 1.19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And then that last phrase, he doesn't know how to get to the city. You don't want to ask directions from a fool. Well, how do you get to Manchester? 
Well, you could go down this road and you, by the time you get through listening, you say, why did I ask him? He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know where it's at. All he's doing is just talking because he wants to talk. The foolish man and his voice. Now he's going to talk about rulers. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. We'll skip verse 18 and we'll go to verse 19. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is a son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Verse 19. A feast is made for laughter. And wine makes merry, but money answers everything. Now what he does is to picture in our minds what we can visualize. Here's a, a person who's a child who becomes king. Now, I'm not thinking in the terms of an eight, nine-year-old child, but we're thinking of a person who's young. They're inexperienced, and they're in a position of authority. He also parallels that with those who feast in the morning. And what he is picturing here with drunkenness is these are people who get up in the morning and they're partying rather than trying to rule. On the other hand, wise kings have been trained from nobility. Those who before them have trained them to be wise leaders. And he says they feast at the proper time and then it's for strength and not for drunkenness. Some people think that this life is all about partying, possessions. I had to make a trip to Walmart yesterday. Not only did I observe two-thirds of Warren County there, But when I went back toward the milk, there were people grabbing liquor off the shelves by the handfuls. So sad. Listen to Proverbs 31.4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink. Isaiah 5, verse 11, Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue till night, till wine inflames them. Oh yeah. I saw a lot of foolish people. People whose behavior is going to be sad because they're going to be intoxicated. Last idea in this of the observations. Let's look at verse 18 and then there will be one tying together in verse 20. Verse 18 says, Because of laziness, the building decays. And through idleness of hands, the house leaks. Now Solomon talked about laziness a lot. He pictured a man who, for instance would just try to find every excuse under the sun. Chapter 24. I went by the field of a lazy man and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. There it was, overgrown with thorns and its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, when I considered it, 
Well, I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to the rest. Social poverty come like a prowler and arm like a need man. You're lazy. Everything's going to fall apart. Chapter 26, verse 13. There's a lazy man who says there's a lion in the streets. A fierce lion in the streets. And then Solomon uses a little humor. As the door turns upon its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. The lazy man buries his hand into the bowl and it wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. The lazy man is wiser than his, in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. It's easily observable that no maintenance takes places to a point of decay. You don't work on it, the roof's going to leak. Things are going to start falling in. One is foolish if he fails to take care of what's his own. Now the final admonition in all of this. You've had your observations. Now here's your admonition, verse 20. Do not curse the king even in your thought. Do not curse the rich even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice and a bird of flight may tell the matter. Now, I would imagine everybody at some times has someone over them who is in a position of authority who annoys them. And they're frustrated with them. And what Solomon is saying, you need to be very careful. Because it may be learned, it may be known. The proverbial little bird may tell. I understand you're unhappy with this decision. I understand that you're unhappy with the direction that things are going. Some employers may say, if you're that unhappy, maybe you need to find employment somewhere else. Wise people guard both their thoughts and their words. Now, here's what you look at. Too many friendships, too many families, too many congregations of the Lord's people have been disrupted disrupted by a little foolish word or a little foolish deed. Solomon is looking and saying, you know, I'm looking at life and I can see there's two different paths that men can follow. One can follow a path of foolishness, one can follow a path of wisdom, and which are you going to choose? And where will each end? He advises wisdom guiding your life. I've got one last passage from the book of James that I want to end with and then we're going to extend the Lord's invitation. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Who's wise among us today? You want to demonstrate your wisdom? If you're not a Christian, when we sing the song of encouragement, you say, I'm not going to live my life anymore wondering and doubt. I'm going to do what I know is right. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm willing to repent of my sins. 
confess his name and be baptized and added to the Lord's church. That's wise. Foolishness says, I'll wait for some other time. The wise person who is a Christian and they realize sins in their life says, you know what? I could put this off. I could do this later. But I need to handle this now. We're going to sing the song, Why Keep Jesus Waiting? And if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we encourage you to come as together we stand and sing.